Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Paddock. Today, we're going to talk about a driver we know and love, Sir Lewis Hamilton. On the call today, you have Leanne, Melissa, Ito, and myself, Hannah. And let's go ahead and dive in on a little background of who Lewis is and how he got started. Sir Lewis Carl Davison Hamilton from Stevenage, Hertfordshire, born on January 7th, 1985, our Capricorn King. He is the son to one of our favorite on-track dads, Anthony Hamilton and Carmen Larbalster. Sorry if I mispronounced it. And Lewis also has two half-sisters, Samantha and Nicola, and half-brother Nicholas, who is also a professional racing driver. Which actually, Nicholas will have his own episode from us one day, so keep a lookout for that. Lewis's father bought him a radio-controlled car when he was five years old and later finished second in the National BRCA Championship the following year against adult competition. I'm sure we've all seen that viral video of young Lewis racing his radio-controlled car focus while the interviewer is just talking to him and Lewis is just giving him little short one-word answers. One of my favorite ones to watch. Being the only black child racing in his club, he faced racial abuse frequently. Lewis's father bought Lewis a go-kart for Christmas when he was six years old and promised to support Lewis' racing career so long that he worked hard in school. In order to support Lewis, Anthony sometimes worked up to four jobs from being a contractor, salesman, dishwasher, and even putting up signs for real estate agents. While Anthony worked on his car in between races, his stepmother, Linda, helped Lewis's racing suit. To say the least, this was an all-family affair. Aside from his track life, as a kid, he always dealt with his education system working against him. While on the Jay Shetty podcast, he talked about how school was the most traumatizing time of his life. Lewis talks to him about remembering being bullied at six years old at school. He was quoted by saying he was one of only six or seven black kids at that school and the headmaster just had it out for them. He never knew why, he just always did. He always struggled in school and didn't find out until he was 16 that he was dyslexic which he thankfully learned that information from a very caring teacher that he had. He definitely goes into more detail that honestly breaks my heart, but the Jay Shetty podcast is incredible and Lewis's episode is one of my favorites to listen to if you're interested. So before we jump into his carding, a little fun fact. When Lewis started carding, he picked the number 44 at the beginning of his racing career because his father's car plate had F44 on it, which I think is so precious knowing that even after he won the championships, which Ido, correct me if I'm wrong, but he never changed his car number. He stayed at 44, which I mean, I feel like most drivers, the second they get the championship, they're like, all right, I'm number one. Thank you so much. And you know what an angel that man is. It really just shows from there. Now, Lewis began karting in 1993 when he was just eight years old and quickly started winning races and cadet class championships and STP karting championships. And then he ended up staying in cadet class karting in 1996, where he won the champions of the future series and became Sky TV, Kartmasters champion and Five Nations champion. The next season, he won the champions of the future series again plus the Super One Series and was British champion again when he was in junior Yamaha. In 1995, at 10 years old, Lewis introduced himself to Ron Dennis, who was McLaren's team boss at the time. Dennis gave him an autograph and wrote, phone me in nine years, we'll sort something out then. Well, just 
three years later, in 1998, Lewis was officially signed to the McLaren Driver Development Program. He was the youngest driver to get a contract from an F1 team. He finished second in the McLaren Mercedes Champions of the Future and raced in the Italian Open Championship, finishing fourth. Also, at the age of 13, Lewis had an incredible junior karting race, Formula Junior Intercontinental A, at Buckmore Park, where he started from the back of the grid and ended up winning by eight thousandths of a second. Plus, he got the fastest lap, where he was also the youngest driver in that formula altogether. Such amazing footage, honestly. If you look it up on YouTube, I think I watched that race about five times. It was, I mean, it was so good. Just even at that age, just seeing how incredible he was. He had even more success in 1999 with Junior Intercontinental A, where he was the Vice European Champion, Trophy de Pomposa winner, and finished fourth in the Italian Open Championship for the second time. He also raced in Intercontinental A and won the Italian Industrials Championship. Next year, he had even greater karting success, which is not shocking because of how insanely talented he is. He became European champion in Formula A after winning all four rounds. To round off his notable wins, he added the World Cup championship in Japan, Elf Masters at Bercy in France, and the second round of the Italian Open. After all his success, the British Racing Drivers Club made him a rising star member. In 2001, which was his final karting year, Lewis got the chance to race against Michael Schumacher at the German track Kerpen. Hamilton did end up finishing behind Schumacher, but, you know, he kind of already had four world championships at that point, so didn't really expect him to go ahead of Schumacher. Now that the karting days are complete, Hannah is going to take it away and talk Formula Renault and Formula 3. So Lewis began his racing career in 2001 in the British Formula Renault Winter Series, finishing fifth in the standings. This led to a full 2002 Formula Rental UK campaign with Manor Motorsports, in which he finished fifth overall. He ended up remaining with Manor for another year, winning the championship ahead of Alex Lloyd and having earned the championship. But Lewis ended up missing the last two races of the season to make his debut in the season finale of the British Formula 3 championship. In his first race, he was forced out with a puncture. In the second race, he crashed out and was taken to the hospital after a collision with his teammate, Tor Graves. Don't worry, he didn't leave that accident with any major like issues. It was more so like, hey, let's go to the hospital, make sure you're good. He was asked in 2002 about the prospect of becoming one of the youngest ever Formula One drivers which Hamilton replied that his goal was not to be the youngest in Formula One, but rather to be experienced enough to then show what he can do in Formula One. He made his debut with Manor in 2004, the Formula Three Euro Series, ending the year in fifth in the championship. I don't know if you hear the reoccurring 5-5-5-5 over and over again with every year. He also won the Brain F3 Super Prix and twice raced in the Maku F3 Grand Prix. Sorry if I said that wrong. Which was the start of him winning championships over and over and over again. Williams had come close to signing Hamilton, but did not because BMW, their engine supplier at the time, would not be able to fund him. 
Hamilton eventually, though, re-signed with McLaren. According to McLaren, the executive and future CEO, Martin Whitmarsh, who was responsible for guiding Hamilton through the team's young driver program, he and Anthony Hamilton, his father, had a huge row slash issue at the end of the season now with Lewis' father pushing him to move to the GP2 series for 2005 while White Marsh felt that he should remain in the F3 series for a second season, which led with White Marsh tearing up Lewis's contract. However, though, Lewis called Whitmarsh six weeks later and re-signed with the team. Hamilton first tested for McLaren late in 2004 at Silverstone, and Hamilton moved to the reigning Euro Series Championship, ASM, for the 2005 season and dominated the championship, winning 15 out of the 20 rounds. He also won the Marlboro Masters, a Formula 3 at Zanfort. After the season, though, British magazine Autosports featured him in their top 50 drivers of 2005, ranking him out of 50, 24th. Now, on to the GP2 series. Hamilton moved to the ASM Sisters GP2 team, Art Grand Prix, who ended up, fun fact, merging later on. So ASM and Art are now one. But for the 2006 season, Hamilton won the GP2 championship at his first attempt, beating Nelson Piquet Jr. and Timo Glock. He secured a dominant win at the Nürburgring, despite a penalty for speeding in the pit lane. At his home race at Silverstone, Hamilton overtook two rivals at Beckett's, a series of high-speed bends where overtaking is rare. In Instable, he recovered from a spin that left him in 18th place to end up taking second. That's amazing, starting from the back to the top. Hamilton won the title in unusual circumstances, inheriting the final points he needed after Giorgio Pantano was stripped of the fastest lap in the Monza feature race. Hamilton's success, however, in the GP2 championship conceded with a vacancy at McLaren following the departure of Juan Pablo Montoya in NASCAR and Kimi Rockinen in Ferrari. After months of speculation on whether Hamilton, Pedro de la Rosa, or Gary Puffett would be prepared for defending the championship, Fernando Alonso, for 2007 in Formula One, Hamilton was confirmed as the team's second driver. He was told of McLaren's decision at the end of September, but the news was not made public for almost two months for fear that it would be overshadowed by Michael Schumacher's retirement announcement. So all in all, success followed swiftly with titles in Formula Rental UK, Formula 3 Euro Series, and a dominant rookie campaign in the 2006 GP2 Series securing his promotion to F1 with McLaren Mercedes. So Lewis's first season in Formula One was with McLaren Mercedes, and we got to see him paired up with the two-time WDC Fernando Alonso. Don't worry, keep an eye out for that episode as we will talk about that pairing later on. Lewis became the first and continues to be the only black driver in Formula One. At his debut race, Lewis finished on the podium and went on to set many records and actually finished second place to Kimi Reckonen only by one point in that World Driver Championship. However, during the season, there were many incidents between Lewis and Fernando, causing there to be tension between the two. After his successful first season at McLaren Mercedes, Lewis had signed a multi-year contract to stay with the team 
until 2012. Lewis's success only continued into 2008, where we saw him win his very first World Driver Champion in a dramatic fashion in the 2008 Brazilian Grand Prix. The competition at that time of the season was very close between Lewis and Felipe Massa and actually caused some drama for that race. But again, we can talk about that later. Lewis then became the youngest F1 world champion and the first British driver to win the World Driver Championship since Damon Hill in 1996. In his last four years with McLaren Mercedes, Lewis continued to score podium finishes and race wins. In 2010, we saw Lewis finish fourth in the driver championship and Sebastian Vettel took that win. The following year in 2011, we saw Lewis again being outscored for the first time by his former teammate Jensen Button. By 2012, Lewis was able to achieve four race wins and finish fourth in the driver's championship. Before the end of 2012, Lewis announced that he would be joining Mercedes for the 2013 season, replacing the retiring and one of the GOATs, Michael Schumacher. Yeah. Well, Lewis is still at Mercedes to this day. And it has been a decade. But what a decade it has been. So I don't think anyone blames him for staying that long. And potentially longer, as his contract is up for renewal at the end of the 2023 season. And Mercedes and Lewis have been saying that they are close to signing a contract on multiple occasions but no word yet on what that contract will look like. But before we think about 2024 and beyond, we do have to take a look back. As Melissa mentioned, in 2013, Lewis replaced Michael Schumacher at Mercedes and would partner his childhood friend Nika Rosberg until 2016. And honestly, because at that point, Mercedes wasn't that great of a team, Lewis's move was met with skepticism from a lot of journalists and fans, especially because he was a one-time world champion at that point. And Mercedes hadn't really been doing that well since re-entering F1. While he managed to give them one race win in Hungary that year, it definitely wasn't what people were used to seeing from Hamilton. Even if the gap to Kimi Raikkonen in P2 was in the double digit during that race. Thankfully, however, that win and the few podiums that he managed to finish on meant that he finished P4 at the end of the year. So some naysayers were definitely quieted. He then took that momentum as well as the engine changes that came in 2014 and just ran. Literally, because 2014 marked the beginning of Hamilton and Mercedes dominance with a short intermission on Hamilton's part in 2016, but more on that later. 2014 saw him win 11 out of the 19 races that were up for grabs that season. Out of the eight that he didn't win, five were won by his teammate Rosberg, which just leaves three races to be won by non-Mercedes drivers. As I said, Lewis in particular, he was just on fire. That dominance easily allowed him to clinch his second driver's title, which definitely shut up the Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton naysayers once and for all. Even this early, it started to give Schumacher vibes, honestly. 
to the point where he ended up having more victories than any British driver at that point. And if that doesn't say GOAT in the making, I don't know what does. But even with that, he managed to remain humble. As for example, he said in Abu Dhabi at the end of that season that it was the greatest day of his life. Another example of his humbleness soon followed because, as Leanne mentioned, even though he was entitled to race with the number one, he never did. This is all because in 2014, there were regulation changes where drivers could now pick their own permanent racing numbers instead of the numbers being assigned based on where they finished in the standings the year before. That rule change also meant that the number one would be reserved for the prior year's champion only if they chose to take it. We all heard the story from Leanne how he chose 44. And if that doesn't say humble, I don't know what does. And fun fact, actually, with that decision, it was also the first year since 1994 before which the reigning champ. Alain Post retired, that their number one wouldn't be used. And it would remain that way until 2022, when the current world champion, Max Verstappen, would choose to race with it once again. Now, as I said, we've entered the era of Lewis domination. So if this gets a bit boring, forgive me. But much like 2014, 2015 saw him crush the competition once again, as he won 10 races, finished on the podium a record-breaking 17 times. Another more personal level GOAT record, I would say he equaled that year, was that he equaled his childhood heroes, Ayrton Senna's three world championship titles. But even with all those records equaled or broken and the dominance, it definitely wasn't a boring season for Hamilton as his rivalry with Nico was just heating up, reaching boiling point at the USGP where the championship was decided. But only after a no-holds-barren nail-biter of race between the two. Winning the championship with three races to spare also helped him get one of the most lucrative contracts in F1 to date at $127 million over three years. The icing being that he was able to keep his own image rights. And if you guys know anything about swords, image rights are sacred. So for him to be able to keep his is huge. And... If the icing wasn't enough, there was also a cherry. And that came in the form of him being able to keep his cars and trophies for himself instead of Mercedes keeping them at the factory, which is usually how things are done. Now, 2016, to be honest, I could talk about it for hours because it is at that point that Mercedes as Lewis and Nico were affectionately known as, reached its boiling point. And honestly, it didn't even reach its boiling point. It was exploding at that point. But I will try to refrain from doing that, though I won't make any promises for a potential future Brosades episode. 
So stay tuned for that. Anyway, short and sweet, here we go. While Lewis won the most races in 2016, 10 out of 21, he still ended up losing to Rosberg by a mere five points. However, as if that wasn't enough, the team had the policy to just let them duke it out on track, which, as a fan, led to some amazing racing. And if you ever want to watch one old F1 season, 2016 is definitely a good one to watch. And even though you think those moments would stay on track, they definitely didn't. The season was basically a Mercedes-sanctioned bar fight between childhood friends, which culminated in Hamilton defying team orders, which, as I mentioned, was unusual for Mercedes that season to give team orders. Him defying team orders meant that he was slowing down in the lead of the race in order to attempt to have Rosberg having to slow down, which would push him into the others behind them. Lewis, basically what Lewis was thinking was, if I slow down, Nico has to slow down, and therefore the cars behind Nico will get annoyed and will overtake. Well, that didn't happen. And that coupled with reliability issues at the beginning of the season and an engine failure in Malaysia and the infamous crash in Barcelona with Rosberg ultimately meant that he lost the war of 2016. There, I call it that. Because that's exactly what it was between those two. Now, 2017 was nowhere near as exciting but it did see him get a new teammate in the form of Valtteri Bottas as Rosberg announced his surprise retirement five days after clenching the 2016 title. But that didn't put an end to Hamilton rivalries, thankfully for all our fan hearts. Even though they weren't all at war and they weren't with his teammate, they were still there. That year in particular, it was in the form of Sebastian Vettel. The pair had a very close title fight and traded places throughout the season. However, at the end of the day, the fight was decided in Mexico with two races to spare as Vettel truly was the only challenger for him at the time. And honestly, the Ferrari just wasn't up to par. Lewis was just too consistent, always finishing in the points, even Valtteri in the same car couldn't really challenge him. Hence, Lewis clinched his fourth title. 2018 saw another battle between Lewis and Seb, and as they both wanted to win their fifth title this season, it was sometimes dubbed the fight 4-5 by the media. While similarly to the year before, Vettel dominated the early part of the season, he fell off towards the end due to technical as well as driver errors, which once again allowed Hamilton to run away with it in Mexico and earning the distinction of most points scored in a season. All this stuff saw Lewis sign another very lucrative contract pre-2019 and he became the most well-paid driver ever in Formula One by securing a 51 million a year deal until 2020. This once again, of course, meant that he would be defending his title at Mercedes. 
Other than that, however, the season wasn't that eventful. While he had challengers in the form of his teammate Bottas, the Red Bull of Max Verstappen, or even the Ferrari of newly promoted Charles Leclerc, no one was able to stop him or even really come close that year because he once again secured the driver's title with two races to spare. Are we seeing a pattern here? I feel like he always wants to clench it way before he needs to. At least this year, it was at Coda instead of Mexico. Gotta switch things up somehow. By that season's end, he managed to secure his sixth Grand Slam of his career. And for those who don't know, a Grand Slam basically means the driver starts on pole, leads every lap of race, gets fast slap, and obviously wins the race. While he isn't the driver with the most glams just yet, that would be Jim Clark with eight, he is second in that ranking too. He also managed to secure another 11 wins that season. Third time he has done that and got another 17 podiums, doing so for the fourth time. And again, equaled his record from the previous year of most points scored in an F1 season with 413. While this record has been broken by now, it is still very impressive. While 2020 was shortened due to COVID, it didn't mean Hamilton stopped dominating. Taking home an impressive 11 wins and 14 podiums in 17 races. Again, equaling his personal win rate. His dominance also meant that he equaled Schumacher's seven world titles that year. And he broke one of Schumacher's other records of 93 race wins and pole positions. And he managed to do so in Portugal. But... What made this even more impressive, honestly, is that he contracted COVID and therefore had to miss a race, his first ever since joining Formula One. And he even managed to win the championship with three races spare in Turkey. And honestly, at that point, it was just showing off. And 2021, who doesn't remember 2021, especially if you are a DTS fan? Dare I say that for the first time since Rosberg, we once again saw someone bring the title fight to Lewis head-on, and that someone was Matt Verstappen. Let's just say it was a very spicy, down-to-last-race-in-Abu-Dhabi fight. Sorry, Lewis fans, for bringing that up again. I know it hurts. But let's start from the beginning. Throughout the season, Max and Lewis snatched the championship lead from one another basically every Sunday, often also coming together on track, to the point where they were equal on points going into the last race of the season. And even though Lewis had surpassed 100 race wins at that point, the century of wins and pole positions achieved paled in comparison to the tension pre-Abu Dhabi. Because at the beginning of the race, it looked like Lewis would take it once again. But then a safety car and a controversial decision by race director Michael Massey, who allowed lapped cars. For those of you that don't know, quick interjection. A lapped car basically is a car that is running a lap behind whoever is leading the race. 
So basically, what was controversial about Michael Massey's decision of allowing some lapped cars to unlap themselves under the safety car was that he only allowed the cars between Lewis and Max in second to unlap themselves, basically eliminating any traffic between those two. And because Max had just pitted for fresh fresh soft tires, whereas Lewis was on old hard tires, Max had all the speed. Meaning he ultimately overtook Lewis on the last lap and therefore went on to win the race and securing his first WDC. While we don't want to get into it too much, like the whole controversy and like all the stuff that happened after the race, because honestly, that deserves its own episode. But basically, the decision was very controversial as it wasn't the usual procedure for safety cars. And due to it being made at such a pivotal time in the race, it had also potentially altered the results of the race and therefore the championship, which was, of course, the stance that Mercedes took. But as we now know, it wasn't upheld. But it led to an investigation and Massey's removal as race director. And that investigation determined that the regulations weren't followed correctly by Massey because of the fact that he only allowed the lapped cars between Lewis and Max to unlap themselves instead of all the cars on the grid, which is the usual procedure. Another thing that made this whole thing controversial was the safety car hadn't completed an additional lap before returning to the pits, but rather it returns to the pits rather abruptly. Even so, the FIA determined the results of the race were valid and therefore nothing was changed in the results. Sadly, 2022 wasn't as spicy as 2021 for Hamilton, as it saw him complete his first ever winless season. And even though he was able to finish on the podium nine times, he still managed to set some records, which even without him winning a race, for him to set records is impressive. One of them being most consecutive seasons with a podium finish. Another one being most consecutive seasons with at least one lap led, most podium finishes at a single circuit, and a few more. And it was the first year where he finished behind a teammate as well, and that was his new teammate, George Russell. As for 2023, while he hasn't won a race yet, only Red Bull has done so far after all, He has managed to finish on the podium three times, and despite saying on multiple occasions that the car was undrivable, the last instance of which was in Austria this past weekend, he's still up there. So who knows, maybe he will manage to be on the top step very soon, because the upgrades that Mercedes have been bringing have been working well so far as they are now second in the constructors behind Red Bull and are just getting better as the weeks progress. As we mentioned throughout the episode, Lewis has had a few rivalries on and off track throughout the years, so we thought we'd dive into them a bit. 
Though I had to promise, as the resident Brosadies girly and history buff, to not go too deep. Then, if I had my way, a Lewis rivalry episodes, as well as other rivalry episodes, are coming in the future. But for now, I'll just tease the different rivalries. Nico and Lewis. They had the Silver Wars going on from 2013 to 2016. And as I said, it was very explosive, especially Barcelona 2016. When they took each other out of the race, and honestly, is now known as their divorce GP. Which is especially funny, as Nico, now a Sky Sports presenter, interviewed Lewis at that exact GP this year after Lewis made the podium. Their first ever public interaction since 2016. It was awkwardly cute, let's put it that way. But enough on Nico for now. Then. Seb was up there too, in terms of rivalries. With Vettel, it was more of like a friendly and respectful rivalry though, as they very much are advocates at heart, and oftentimes for the same stuff on and off the track. And one of their funnier moments was in Canada in 2019, when Vettel moved the first place placard in front from in front of Lewis's car to the front of an empty slot where Vettel's car in second place should have been. All this due to Vettel receiving a penalty during the race that he thought was unjust and that demoted him from first place to second place. And last but not least, we can't talk Lewis rivalries without mentioning Fernando Alonso. Because as Melissa mentioned, they were teammates at one point. And it, as usual with most of its teammates, Lewis and Fernando's rivalry was mostly characterized by intense competition and contrasting personalities. Because their rivalry mostly taking place during Hamilton's rookie season when they were both at McLaren Mercedes in 2007. Usually, teammate rivalries do, it quickly intensified as both drivers aimed to assert themselves as McLaren's number one driver. On-track incidents and off-track incidents began to emerge, fueled by perceived favoritism towards Hamilton from the team. Alonso felt frustration and believed that McLaren Mercedes was not treating him equally, which led to internal conflict, disagreements, and so on. Sounds familiar? I feel like at this point, Lewis always seems to be the golden boy within his teams compared to his teammate. But as I said, I'll stop there for now because I could go on for hours. And we still have some TBD episodes, so be on the lookout as one of those might just become an in-depth Civil Wars episode or one talking about Seb B. Lewis. Who knows? I really look forward to uh, those episodes, to be honest, because I love rivalries. And I really wanted to take this opportunity while you're all listening to talk about the amazing heart this man has. Lewis honestly seems to have the kindest soul, especially having to deal with all that he did and still does inside and outside of the sport. He grew up being the only person of color racing the majority of the time. Lewis is still the only black driver on the grid. 
He has always been fighting for social change, but with everything that was happening in the world, and especially the U.S. during 2020, that really lit a fire in him to step up even more than he already has for the world. Lewis launched Mission 44 back in 2021. Their mission is to support, champion, and empower young people from undeserved groups, succeed through narrowing opportunity gaps in education, employment, and wider society. Yeah. And as Leanne mentioned, 2020. As some of you might remember, 2020 was really the year where Black Lives Matters truly took off. And Formula One was no exception. This is why Formula One created the We Race as One campaign in order to fight racism and inequality, as well as highlight COVID-19. Lewis being the only Black driver on the grid, of course, took this a step further by doing things like taking an, a knee at every GP that he attended and wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts during all of his appearances. And he also convinced Mercedes to run an all-black livery out of solidarity, once again showing how humble and yet outspoken he is. Ido mentioning um, Lewis convincing Mercedes to run the all-black livery had reminded me of a moment Lewis had mentioned. I don't know if it was in an interview or in the podcast with Jay Shetty, but he they did the re-race times one and then he had like the Black Lives Matter or like the Breonna Taylor shirt and Mercedes people were like, why didn't you tell us like we would have backed you up and it just shows what a supportive team they are to Lewis and they understand how much that movement and that time meant to him. So I really admire Mercedes for that. But besides Mercedes, in general, I do admire Lewis. He's always willing to advocate for things that others normally would not or would be too afraid to advocate for. From Black Lives Matter movement to being an ally to the LGBTQ plus community, this man has truly a heart of gold. There's no denying it. And I've always said it and I will say it again. Lewis knows he is that guy but will forever be so humble. To me, that's a trait that anyone that's in the F1 community and even outside could admire because you know how it goes when this type of success gets to a point and gets to people's heads. But I always felt like he's always been very level-headed about how he carries himself and everything. No, I definitely agree. Um, he is probably one of the most outspoken on the grid, which is nice that you you get that because most of them stay quiet, which isn't a bad thing, but it's also nice to hear people's opinion and advocating for things that they love. While we always love a good Lewis and everything that he does, I could not go without talking about this very avid dog lover, Lewis Hamilton, with his dog Roscoe, and then even his previous past dog, rest in peace, Coco, who passed away with a heart attack at the age of six. Fun fact, Roscoe is vegan and is nine years old, and you can find him in the paddock with Lewis at almost every race. He clearly steals the show. And for all of our DTS lovers out there, and even watching the races pre-race and can find Roscoe there with him, and he'll be like, come here, Roscoe. And Roscoe, like, listens so perfectly, just, like, bottles behind, like, I'm coming. <laughs> and he also, Roscoe has his own social media page and is averaging about $700 a day on it by just posting a photo like he's a superstar in himself and it's like okay okay i see you roscoe like we get it you're you're absolutely amazing 
And we're going to do a fun little driver quote. So my favorite Lewis quote would be, my saying is, we win and lose together. I think that really does apply to both fans, family, and the team. When you look at that, he really, he embodies the team of Mercedes. He wants them to succeed and he wants them to achieve together. You lose together, you win together. He has been there from the long run. Like Ito said, he's been there a decade. <laughs> and he really is one of those people. He's like, I see the issues. Let's get better. Let's win together. But when we lose together, we lose together as a team. It's not one individual that gets out. Thank you all so much for listening to what might be my personal favorite episode. And I know one of my mother's favorite episodes. I truly admire Sir Lewis Hamilton, especially for his heart. If you would like to donate to Mission 44, you can do so by going to mission44.org. Reach out to us about your favorite moments of our seven-time world champion. All of our socials are at Paddock Girls Podcast, except Twitter. There you can use at Paddock Girls Pod. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us in the paddock. See you in Silverstone. Bye, Craig. See you, Craig. Bye, Craig. See you later.